0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires
0: downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Hey, this is Tinian Crawford, known locally as Captain DIY, and you are listening to the Earn and Invest podcast.
0: Growing up, I wasn't much of a DIYer. My parents were two busy professionals who often found it more efficient to hire out. So when I became of age, I did the same thing. My car, my appliances, the yard work. I became an expert at paying someone else to fix any problems. My finances were no different. Why learn how to invest if I could pay someone else to do it? This mindset was limiting, and eventually to take control of my own finances as well as build my own business, I had to learn how to manage some things on my own. My guest today grew up with more of a DIY mindset. This eventually led to a career in the trades and even his own business. Was he better prepared than I? Tinian Crawford, aka Captain DIY, is the writer behind the DIY Defy blog, a financial independence enthusiast, and a self-employed electrician. He discusses all the best and worst ways to save a buck and make your life better through DIY and the development of a growth mindset. Tinian, welcome to Earn and Invest. Tell me about this intersection between doing it yourself or DIY and the growth mindset. How are they related?
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's a great start. First of all, thanks for having me, Doc. It's always a pleasure to chat and to hear you talk about stuff. So, so intersection between growth and mindset and DIY skills, it just seems like they're kind of one and the same. I mean, to have a growth mindset means to always be looking to learn new things, to expand your knowledge, to expand your worldview, so to speak. And I think DIY skills really build into that in the sense that you always have to learn something new, kind of always feel a little bit out of your comfort zone I certainly do still, even with electrical work. Like you said, that's my profession. And I've been doing it for 15 years now. And I still find myself out of my comfort zone quite often and learning new things. They're one and the same. I mean, You cannot develop new DIY skills without a growth mindset.
0: Let's talk about getting out of your comfort zone. You originally had a degree in graphic art. How the heck did that lead to being an electrician?
1: It was, a, it was a fairly circuitous route for sure. The degree in graphic arts, that was an associate's degree. It took me about six years to get it. I, I'm not scholastically inclined. I never did bad in school. I was always pretty good. I just had no interest in it. And kind of to appease my mother, I, I continued on and got this degree. You know, I always kind of had an artistic flair so it seemed like graphic arts was something that might work with that. I came into a job at a sign making business. While I was working on that degree, it seemed like kind of, you know, I could use my degree skills to create sign design and stuff like that. And the sign business was kind of a dead end for me. And I realized a couple of years into it that, you know, there's a lot of signs that are electrically lit and I could probably be worth more money to the sign businesses if I was had an electrical license, which, you know, looking back on it it was kind of backward thinking, but it got me to where I was going. I mentioned this to my wife and, you know, me being me, I would have just sat on that thought forever. She, however, took it and ran with it. And I started getting emails from all local vocational schools saying, Hey, we hear that you're interested in signing up for our electrical program. Come take a look. And so I ended up signing up with one of them who was nearby. And so that was, it was a one-year program. It was a, part-time. So it was half days. I did it in the morning. Halfway through that, I ended up getting a job as an apprentice for a local electrician. And so I'd go to school in the mornings, do my apprentice job in the afternoons until I finished the program. And then I just stuck with that guy for the rest of my apprenticeship.
0: I found that even when we're involved in the growth mindset, sometimes we still get stuck between scarcity and abundance. So I'm wondering, you've moved on, you're at electrician school, you're doing the apprenticeship. At that point in your life, were you thinking big? Were you like, I'm going to one day own my own electrician business? Or was it more like, I need a trade so I can go work for someone else and make money?
1: I was not thinking big at all. I was thinking, this seems like an exciting job that is something different. And that was it. You know, at at the time I was was getting paid $750 an hour, which was half what I was making at the sign shop. So it was kind of, you know, I took a huge hit Going there, but at least this had some growth potential to the point where I could get to be a licensed electrician. And I didn't approach it with the thought of starting my own business. But I mean, within the first day of becoming an apprentice, I had friends and family saying, Oh, you're an electrician. I need some electrical work done at my house. And, you know, I'm like, Well, slow your roll there. Like, I I don't know anything (laughs) about this stuff. I'm, I'm day one here. I'm green as can be. But since then, and certainly since getting my license, it's been just really easy to do some side jobs. You know, on the weekends, in the evenings, somebody calls me up and says, Hey, I have an outlet doesn't work. No problem. I'll go over there, and make a quick few bucks, help out a friend, and yeah, on to the next thing.
0: When you started this pathway, you're like, Okay, I've got a career choice. Now this could work. Where were your thoughts about financial independence? Was that something you knew anything about? Did you know about personal finances at all? Like at the beginning of your journey?
1: Not in the slightest. I never thought about money. Money was just, you know, I'm a musician and I was in a band in my early 20s and money was, you know, okay, I can get a new uh, pedal for my guitar or I can get, you know, another pack of strings now because I have some money. That was where my money was concerned. My wife, however, is very different. And so she, she decided the first kind of inkling I had towards any kind of ability to have money was when she was pregnant with our first child. She said, okay, we need to have $20,000 saved up by the time he's born. And I, and I was like, that's impossible. $20,000. Are you kidding me? Like, that's that's like millionaire money. Nobody has $20,000. You know, She's a social worker. I was an apprentice electrician. We were not making good money. And somehow we made it happen. I, I still to this day don't know how we did that. She didn't know anything about financial independence at the time, but she just knew that we needed to have money. She grew up pretty poor. My parents didn't have money when I was a kid. So we didn't really come from any kind of money. We didn't think that money was a thing that was just easily accessible. So we wanted to make sure that we had a cushion. We didn't find out about financial independence until several years later. Let's say my son was born in 2010. We find out found out about it in 2017 in February. My wife had an accident and hit her head. She had to lay low for a while. She couldn't read, she couldn't look at screens. And so she went to podcasts and found the choose a fire podcast, right. Right. When they had first started up uh, and she got way into that and, you know, started talking to me and saying, Hey, you know, you should listen to this, this, there's some great ideas here and at that time I was a licensed electrician. I was working for the university that I eventually got a job for and. So that was a state job. So they had a chart, which was, you know, from when you start based on your age, how long until you get whatever percentage as a pension payment plan for your retirement. And I was looking at 34 years to get an 80% pension. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm 20. What, how old was I then? I was probably about 34, 35, you know, and I'm like, man, I got, I'm going to be here for a long time. I'm going to be mid 60s by the time I get out of here. That's a long time to be doing this. And she introduced me to that. I was like, oh, yeah, this is way better. Okay, I want to do this and I want to retire now.
0: I want to get to 2017 and that kind of change in your career trajectory. But before we do, let me just pause on that $20,000. You kind of said to us $20,000 was like millionaire money. And then all of a sudden, somehow you pulled it out. How did that change your mindset at the time? Like, Did you see a light bulb go off just knowing that you could accumulate that $20,000?
1: Yeah, that really changed my approach uh, to money in general. I mean, it. I'm still not a natural saver, and I certainly wasn't then. It, it allowed me to realize that even lowly me could end up with a pretty fat bank account, just through a few mindful decisions, really. It was just about rather than seeing this money and saying, oh, I have this money now, and I have this thing that I want. I'm just going to exchange the two. It was more of an idea of, well, I have this money and I can make more of it and I can just put it in here and I can still have a lot of the things that I want out of my life. I can just live a little bit more simply and a little bit more mindfully and the money can just stay with me instead of going out into the ether and who knows.
0: At that time, you were talking about savings, did you think about investing or any of those kind of more advanced financial independence concepts, or was it just like we saved up to twenty thousand dollars, we can keep saving?
1: Yeah, so we had, so we had saved up that money, and then we kind of thought about, you know, what do we do with it? And we looked into investing. We had a, a local credit union that we went to that had a financial advisor. And so we said to the financial advisor, you know, we're, we're looking to start some investing. We don't know what we're doing. Please help us. And he said, great. Do you want to do regular investing or socially conscious investing? And we'd <laughs> okay, so let's do socially conscious investing. He said, great. And that was it. Those were the choices. And so he, he took our money. He put it into whatever he put it into. I don't know. And for the next several years, we watched everybody else's money grow and ours kind of stay the same. <laughs> it didn't really do anything. Um, So yeah, that was our, that was our entire approach to investing and all of our knowledge of investing was that just that.
0: That's interesting. I mean, you are Captain DIY, a guy who grew (laughs) up physically doing everything kind of on your own. Were your finances different? Like this was the one thing you decided to sub out to someone else and not learn it on your own.
1: Yeah. I didn't, I didn't see, you know, it wasn't a hands-on skill. It wasn't, carving wood it wasn't building a structure it wasn't anything like that it was it was mind work which was not in my opinion at the time a DIY skill you know I was thinking DIY skills like you learn how to put in a new toilet it was not learn how to manage your money
0: that's so funny because when I look at my own trajectory it was the exact opposite give me something that was mental and I'm like okay I can DIY it I can figure this out but give me something physical. And it petrified me. So it's funny that you and I came to things kind of from a, a different perspective. Let's go back now to 2017. You discover financial independence. Tell me what that did to your career trajectory. So here you are, you're like, I got a great job. I'm making money. Sounds like you're fairly happy with that, or at least you know, this is what life is. And all of a sudden you discover financial independence. What was going through your head about working?
1: When I first heard about it, every day suddenly seemed like a chore. It was like, I have to get through this day so that I can get to the next day so that I can retire right now. The first thing was to cut out all of our expenses. You know, it was like, we're going to live on ramen until we retire and rice and beans and we're going to cut out our cable bill. We're going to, you know, we're going to eliminate everything. I also went looking at investment options through the, the university, which they actually had some great ones. They had a 457 that was available uh, through Fidelity. So I jumped onto that. I did a, a 403B as well through them. And we started up a brokerage account through Vanguard. And so we just started dumping a bunch of money into that. I started putting most of my paychecks into that. There was quite a few $0 paychecks just because I was maxing that out as fast as I could. And so that that's kind of where we were at with that. It took a little while to kind of figure out that bare bones was not really where we wanted to be. But that's, that's kind of how we started into it. I kept, I didn't think about leaving the university at that point. I was still, I was like, I'm here. I'm just going to be here as long as I have to be here to build up enough money for us to feel like we can back off.
0: When did the kernel of the idea form that, Hey, maybe I could, make a lot more money and do this better if I was off on my own?
1: You know, it always kind of was there. I don't know that I I always felt like I was capable of it. I figured that it was certainly possible to make more money on my own. But I never thought that it was a feasible thing to do for me. Certainly, while my wife was self-employed at this point, she had started her own practice as a therapist. So she was self-employed. I was the one carrying the insurance, which was the big one. And that was, you know, I can't leave this job because we need the insurance. So that was that was it. And I was just, okay, I'm in this. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to carry the insurance. We're going to build up our nest egg. And then I can back off once we get to a certain point. Weren't really sure what that point was, but that was the plan.
0: Which reminds me, as you're talking about health insurance, there are some benefits to being employed, Eventually, when you weighed the risks versus the benefits, you finally decided to go off on your own. But before we get there, talk to me about some of those benefits. What was kind of great about working for someone else?
1: Oh, the benefits were great there. I got to say, the university definitely had a pretty decent health insurance package. You know, I had health, I had vision, I had dental for the whole family, which was great. My daughter had some dental problems that ended up being a fairly big deal but it was mostly covered we did end up having to pay out of pocket for some of that stuff because we had to go out of network to get a dentist that would take care of her other than that it was it was really well covered all of our stuff pretty decent health insurance package the investment opportunities were great with the 457 and the 403b so that was really nice also being in a union gave some other benefits the union would pay for some educational classes things like that if I had stayed there long enough they would have covered my my kids tuition if they had decided to go to a state college or a, a university which that would have been great so yeah there was there was plenty of benefits to it the job was really easy physically it was I was a maintenance electrician so I was you know, I was basically a light bulb changer so physically it was really really easy it was great to be able to go in when my daughter was really young you know when you got little kids you're not sleeping much so i go in after a night of not much sleep and and just kind of be able to take it easy and and not work too hard during the day which was really nice so there was there was a lot of variety of benefits
0: it sounds almost too good to be true what changed the equation like what made you decide okay i've been doing this i'm doing well There obviously was an itch to change. What brought about that itch?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely a golden handcuffs. Big part of what brought about my desire to change and to get out of there was, you know, I was listening to a lot of these podcasts and reading blogs and stuff. And it's all about going out, seize the day, do the things that you got to do, you know, make the things happen, this growth mindset bit. And here I am stuck at this job, right? I can't really do any of that, but most of my time was kind of spent waiting for the next thing to do. And I spent a lot of time just sitting around watching YouTube videos and it, it just, it was killing me. I couldn't do it. I, I need to be busy. I need to have busy hands at the very least. And if not busy hands, then something that I feel like I'm being productive, this job just did not feel productive at all.
0: Was there anything in your training or experience that prepared you to run your own business? Like, was this something you got taught in electrician school?
1: No, no, definitely not. I think probably the best thing that prepared me for it was, you know, I had been doing it on the side. I've been doing it nights and weekends for six or seven years. Not a ton of it. Certainly there were a few times. I mean, I had one summer where I I wired in a, a whole it's called a farm stand, technically, but it's it's basically a small grocery store. It was a twenty thousand dollar electrical job that I did on the side. And that was a huge one that really kind of bumped me into the idea of, well, you know, this is this was a big job, and I just did this by myself. If I can do this, you know, I can I can do anything. Yeah, it was just just doing it on the side. That's that's what prepared me more than anything else. And I have to say that the thing that I've found the most difficult has been scheduling. That's something that I wasn't used to when I was doing it on the side, it was okay. Yeah, I have, you know, Saturday, I can do it Saturday. And now it's well, you know, how long do I think this job's going to take and do Do I pile a couple of jobs into this day? And it's, other than that, it's, it's just been another, another Saturday job, except I do it on Wednesday.
0: You said the scheduling has turned out to be one of your biggest challenges. Tell me what your fears were going in, and did you realize those? Like, so obviously there must have been some big fears about starting your own business. Did any of them turn out to be true?
1: I wrote down a couple of fears when I first started this, and my biggest one. What I realized after some introspection, and this took a bit. My my initial thought was, you know, a failure to succeed. I was I was thinking, like, boy, I should be really afraid to. To fail. My biggest fear was what if I succeed? Then I can't say that I can't do this. Interesting. Tell me about that. Well, (laughs) so if I tried it and it didn't work, I was like, okay, well, at least I tried it. I can go back to a nice comfy job working for somebody else. No problem. But if it works, well, then I don't have an excuse. Now I now what am I doing this for? Am I doing this to prove it to myself still because I just did? Or am I doing this for some other reason? So that one, that took a little bit to get around that, which was really interesting to me that that I was worried that it would work. And that fear has definitely come true because it it's working. <laughs> <laughs> it's working really well.
0: Did you, so clearly you had a fear of succeeding because if you did succeed, it would cause you to ask deeper questions. What am I doing with myself? Is it fulfilling my needs? What other things should I be doing? Tell me about the process of now dealing with those issues. It is working. Have you found that going through the process of taking a deeper look at at what you want out of yourself and your
1: career has been difficult? You know, I haven't spent a whole lot of time at this point looking into what what my answers to that kind of question would be. I've been self-employed for a year and a half now. Most of that time, I've been just completely underwater in terms of the amount of work coming my way and my ability to do it all. This has just been a ridiculous time for contractors of any type. And everybody I've spoken to is, you know, I've never been so busy. I've been in business 20 years. It's crazy. So clearly, I came into it at at a good time. And so I haven't really taken the time to say, you know, what do I want out of this? What am I thinking about it? The, the time that I have spent thinking about it, it's been mostly the one thing that I really want out of it is time. I want time that's flexible. My kids are in public school. There's all kinds of days off here and there. Kids get sick, especially with COVID stuff. There's COVID scares. All of a sudden you got to be you know home for a while or whatever. So I needed to be able to just be available for that. And that has, has proven to be a huge, huge bonus of this. I have been available. I'm got all kinds of flexibility in my time. I mean, right now it's Friday, it's middle of the day. Here I am. All I had to do to get this time was not schedule a job. I didn't have to ask anybody's permission. And that, that is really just felt so amazing to be able to, to have that agency has been enormous.
0: One of the benefits of working for someone else, especially the university type job you had is that you have emotional bandwidth for other things in your life. And if I remember correctly, You used to write, I think, for a beer blog. Tell me about side hustles, both before you worked, when you worked for someone else, and now when you work for yourself. Do you have the ability and emotional bandwidth to do some of those other things you used to do now that you run your own business?
1: Yeah. So while I was at the university, I was writing for my own blog. There was a a couple of guys that started up this beer blog that I was writing a little bit for. I also started doing copywriting. My stepfather runs a digital marketing business. He was lamenting a need for a writer. He had an electrician. He's in New York, he had an electrician client. His writer wasn't really working out for He's like, oh, I need a writer. And my wife said, saying, Tinian is a writer and an electrician, maybe that'll work out. And so it ended up working out great. I was writing for this electrician. I was doing copywriting for seven or eight of his, of his clients. And making pretty decent money with that on the side too, which is great. I kept that up for a little while after going out on my own and quickly realized that I, I couldn't. I couldn't keep it up. I, I couldn't bring myself to open my computer on the weekends at all. And that's that's where I'm at now. I, I don't have the bandwidth in any form to do any kind of side jobs. And I I don't need to. I mean, I you know, if I want to make more money, the, the idea of a side job is to make a little bit more money. If I want to make more money i take another job or I pack them in a little bit tighter or whatever you know it's there's no need for side jobs my my whole job is a side job kind of
0: we are talking with tinian crawford aka captain diy and we're discussing entrepreneurship when you work in the trades We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification... That's LandRoverUSA.com. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential, then brings them to you. From personalized medicine to cybersecurity to robotics, quantum computing, and more, in state-of-the-art labs, startup garages, and anywhere in between, our crowd is identifying innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest early. Our Crowd is the fastest-growing venture capital investment community, and many of our Crowd's members have benefited from over 40 IPOs or sale exits of portfolio companies. Now you can invest in BlueTree, who could revolutionize the billion-dollar plus total addressable food tech market. BlueTree has developed a process to significantly reduce the sugar in any natural liquid, lowering health risks while retaining the great taste. BlueTree has already signed a 5-year, 100-million-liter contract with an industry leader, Invest in Bluetree at O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D dot com slash E-A-I. You can join our crowd for free at ourcrowd.com slash E-A-I. Let me introduce you. Tinian Crawford is also known as Captain DIY. He's the writer behind the DIY to Fi blog. He's a financial independence enthusiast and a self-employed electrician. And we are talking about going into business for yourself when you are in the trades. Tinian is an electrician, and a year and a half ago, he left his safe and secure job to work for himself. Tinian, break it down for us. What do you think are the best and worst parts of working for yourself?
1: I'm going to start with the worst. I think the worst parts of working for yourself are the feeling that you're never really off work there's an old saying for self-employed people, you're never done. You just decide when to stop sometimes. And it's, it's so true. I mean, I can, I can always open up my email and Oh, I have more emails to answer or, you know, I have some phone calls to answer or people are texting me. I get customers texting me at 10 o'clock at night. I don't respond at 10 o'clock at night. Cause you know, you've got to set some boundaries here, but that's, that's definitely the hardest part is feeling like you're never really off. I never lost sleep when I was working for somebody else and I definitely have working for myself. Best parts, flexibility of time is fantastic. A really big one that I hadn't thought about before is setting myself up as a, I don't want to say a pillar of my community, but certainly as a, as a, as a member of my community, as a, as a fixture in the community, you know, it's, It's gotten to the point now where where there's a lot of people that know my name in the community and associate it with somebody who is reliable, does good work at a fair price, and is a good person to talk to if you have questions about things. And that feels really good. It feels really, really good to be able to have somebody call me and say, hey, I live around the corner from you. I got your name from so-and-so. I have this project that I need to get done. I'm really hoping you can help me out. And to be able to say yes to that, yeah, absolutely. I can get over there, I can take care of that for you. And they're so happy about that. And it just feels wonderful to be able to do that, especially when I get a phone call from a friend who says, I got a problem. This light fixture isn't working. I got my my in-laws are coming over. I need, can you can you help me? Yeah, absolutely. I'll be right over there. This whole week I've spent basically working for close friends every day you know, it's, it's been really wonderful to be able to do that. And to know that when I get up to go to work tomorrow, I am driving to my friend's house. I'm not going to a job where it's a toxic environment. I don't like the boss. Somebody's going to be yelling at me, something like that. No, I'm going to my friend's house. We're going to chat. We're going to, you know, maybe have a couple of drinks when the job's done and it's going to be a good day. And we're going to get a project done. They're going to be happy. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to make some money and it's all good.
0: As I listened to you talk about kind of being a pillar or a known person in the community. And also, when you mention things like time flexibility, it begs the question, you know, you seem to have plenty of jobs. Scheduling is one of the big issues. Have you thought about becoming an employer yourself, hiring on some other electricians to work under you, maybe taking some of the responsibility of the moment to moment off your hands?
1: That's definitely a question that I get asked the most. No, I'm not interested in being an employer for a couple of reasons. Number one, so as an electrician, there's a couple of levels of licensure. I hold a journeyman's license. The next level up is a master's license. As a journeyman, I can work for myself and I can have one apprentice working under me. If I want to hire more journeymen, I have to get a master's license, which is more time in school, a little bit more money, taking another test, which is fine. However, I think the big reason that I don't want to hire anybody is that time flexibility that I talked about. It's a lot harder to have that when I have to keep somebody else busy. That being said, right now, I probably wouldn't be able to find somebody to hire anyway. I mean, contractors can't can't find anybody to hire at this point. There's, There's a massive labor shortage in the trades there's a lot of people talking about. I mean, if, if you want to learn about that, you can certainly listen to anything that Mike Rowe has to say. He's, he's huge on this topic. He's been pushing to get people in the trades for years and, and people are just aren't doing it. I mean, every, every five people that retire, there's one person to fill their shoes. And so, you know, it's trying to find somebody to work for me. I think would be more headache than it's worth. I just prefer to stay small. Just me. I can be in and out. When I'm ready to pull back, I can pull back. And it's just simple is better, I think.
0: Why do you think there is such a reticence to be in the trades? I mean, what you've described is a fairly economically lucrative business model that gives you a lot of time, flexibility, and freedom, and no lack of need for your services. Why wouldn't young people go into these fields?
1: Yeah, I've written about this in my blog a few times. There's, There's several reasons for it. Number one, I think the biggest thing is for the last four or five decades, we've been pushing kids to go to college. Everything is go to college. Public school is designed to push kids into college because without a four year degree, you're not going to get a good job. You're not going to be able to make ends meet. You know, you're know, you not going to be able to live the American dream. So that's just been it. And at the same time, you know, shop class was for the kids that couldn't do economics. The trades were for the kids who couldn't do college. who weren't smart enough. That's, that's been the running. That's been what how people have looked at the trades for so long now that it's just kind of part of the culture. It's almost, it's almost like you're, you're giving up by going into the trades, which is unfortunate. As you said, it's, it's a really lucrative career and you know what you can get into the trades, in high school, you can go to a vocational school if you're lucky enough to have one near you and you're lucky enough to get in because they're having fewer and fewer slots now that they're shutting down. But if you do that, you can you can start your apprenticeship in high school. You can, if you're doing something that's licensed like electrician or plumber or something like that, you can, you can get your license just a couple of years out of high school. Instead of racking up $100,000 in debt going to college, you're making money right out of the gate. I mean, it's right now, these guys, these apprentices are making 15 bucks an hour, just right out of the gate. And, you know, and then I got a friend of mine who's a plumber. He had his license two years out of high school. He's 20 years old. He got licensed. He started up his business. He's got a few guys working under him. He's making good money and he's not even 30 yet. You know, he came out of it with no debt and he's doing big jobs, making good money. And it's a solid career. That being said. Another reason I think a lot of people don't get into the trades is it can be really physical. It can be a very physically demanding job. You see a lot of these guys in their fifties and sixties that can barely walk. You know, it beats you up. There's no doubt about it. You do have to be aware when you go into the trades that your, your work span, your work career life is going to be shorter than that of a knowledge worker. You know, it's, it's a lot harder to force your body into a really physical day as a plumber hefting heavy pipes around than it is going to your desk to write. So that is definitely another reason people aren't doing it. There's some people that just aren't, they're not cut out for it. And that's fine. If if you're not into physical labor, maybe it's not for you, although there are certainly trades and aspects of trades that are a lot less physical. In electrician trades, for example, you can get into communications. That's a lot less physical. That's really small wires. That's a lot of fine detail work. It's good money again, and it's not carrying heavy things around. So I think that is another stigma that needs to get taken away from the trades is that it's it's just going to completely destroy your body. Yeah, a lot of a lot of aspects are, but there's also other avenues that don't.
0: Tell me about the idea of this physicality and how it affected your decision-making. Admittedly, your first job, like you said, was not nearly as hard on you physically as what you're doing now. Has the physicality aspect changed the way you think about your finances and things like retirement date?
1: So I never really connected the two. When I was thinking about early retirement or anything like that, I, I wasn't thinking about it to save my body. Every job I've ever had has been physical. I've never had a desk job besides some of my side hustles writing. It's work. I don't know any other way of working other than using my body to make money, which sounds kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll leave
0: that right there. Yeah, good.
1: <laughs> um, so and I threw myself off track with that, but but yeah, so... Thinking about it now, as as my financial independence journey has progressed and I've gotten older, I start thinking about it more and more. You know, I'm looking at forty around the corner, and I, you know my knees are starting to feel it a little bit. And so I'm definitely thinking about it. Certainly, the last year and a half has been more physical than the eight years prior. But even in that time, I was really into physical things. I was always exercising a lot and and moving my body a lot. So it's it's always been there, and I always want some kind of physical movement to be in my day to day. And so, yes, I do want to retire early to be able to preserve my body. And that retirement will still have some element of physical labor in it. I'll never back away from that. Did
0: going into business for yourself accelerate your financial independence journey?
1: Absolutely. We've been putting money away like never before, it's been a much more conscious effort at this point. You know, I, I was able to start up a solo 401k when I went out on, in my own, I've been dumping everything I can into that, which has felt really good. I think also having less of a steady paycheck, it's not the exact same amount of money every two weeks. You know, it's, it's, oh, I got a big chunk of money. I'm going to throw a bunch of that into the market now, you know, that kind of thing. And it, and it's that approach has really seemed to to boost the amount of money I put into my investments which has been nice.
0: Explain that a little further. D- tell me why that's that's changed things.
1: Well, first of all I'm making more money working on my on my own for sure. Certainly there's a lot of hidden money that I was making at the university that I didn't see so it it feels like I'm making more money when I'm actually making a little bit less than that. But I'm definitely making more money. There's no, there's no way around that. So just having that available to invest has pushed me into investing more. And certainly while I'm not, I'm not into the bare bones idea of financial independence anymore, that's been an evolutionary aspect of it that I've, I've grown from cut out everything and live on rice and beans to, well, you know, this kind of sucks. I still want to enjoy my life. What if I get hit by a bus tomorrow to... You know where i'm at now which is i don't really think about money all that much now i just know that i'm making enough i want to put as much of it as i can into my retirement account so i can watch that number grow and at some point i'll feel comfortable with pulling back quite a bit i I don't know that i'll ever not work as an electrician i think i'll always hold on to the licensure and i'll always do jobs here and there i might just pull way back and only work for friends or people that I know and things like do just do the jobs that I want to do and just let my investments kind of sit on the sidelines and hopefully not touch them for quite a while. It seems like I can live pretty comfortably on just working a few hours a day with this job.
0: Let's talk a little about the pandemic. I mean, the timing was interesting for you, right? A year and a half ago, you go into your own practice Pandemic hits March of 2020. How has this affected your business or has it?
1: When the pandemic hit, I was still working for the university. And at first, they closed down, you know, everybody shut down. They sent us home for a month, which was great. I thought that was fantastic. I was just living in my backyard and getting paid, and it was great. And I was like, you know, Mm -hmm. we'll keep this up forever. And then, they started bringing everybody back and it seemed to me like they were doing it in an irresponsible fashion. They were, they just decided everybody needed to come back. There were no students there, but they wanted all the employees back. And I thought, well, this is stupid. What am I going to be doing? I'm going to be twiddling my thumbs all day, you know, risking my health and my family's health for nothing. And so that kind of started the decline for me. It, it also just seemed to feel more and more toxic there seemed like there was a lot of backstabbing going on amongst employees. And there was definitely, there had always been a culture of step on others on your way up kind of deal to, to get into management positions. You had to put people down, you had to report people for, you know, doing things that they weren't supposed to do or whatever. And that kind of accelerated once they started calling people back, that really started to push me into the idea of, You know, maybe I don't want to be here anymore. Maybe I want to just do this on my own. That summer, summer of 2020, the university put out an incentive package to leave early. And they said they would pay people to leave. Basically, it was based on how long it had been there. They would pay you a certain amount. You know, for me, I'd been there for a little less than eight years. So they were going to pay $5,000. I thought, well, this is great. You're going to pay me to do what I was going to do anyways. And so I jumped on it. I thought, now's the time. You know, it's clearly the universe is speaking to me and saying, you've been thinking about doing this now for a little while. Here you go. Here's a big fat paycheck to go out on your own. So that, that was just the 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 spark that lit the fire for me. Yeah,
0: it never hurts to get paid to
1: leave. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Were there any concerns? I mean, we've talked about the fact that the demand for trades is high anyway, were there any concerns that something about the pandemic could limit your work? Either people wouldn't want to be doing work or people wouldn't want you in their houses? I mean, was there any worry underlying that this is something so new that it would be hard to be in your first year of entrepreneurship and dealing with it?
1: Certainly. Yeah. It was. There was definitely that fear in the back of my head. What what really helped me was by this point, we had been investing pretty heavily for a few years. We had a pile of FU money. You know, I have my 457, which, you know, the nice thing about those, you can pull those out as soon as you terminate. Anytime. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to wait till I'm 60 to use that. So that felt like a real backstop for me, which was nice to have that. There was that. And we had some other savings that we've been holding on to. So I felt like even if this doesn't work, if I, if I do this, I go out on my own and I can't get enough money. I have a year's worth of expenses to sit on. And so worst case scenario, I start looking for a job. And if it takes me six months to get a job, so be it.
0: Knowing what you know now, do you feel like you should have done this much earlier? Like, do you ever look back and say, why was I working for someone else for eight years?
1: You know, I, I, don't, I don't think I would have changed it. I wasn't ready I wasn't ready to go out on my own. And I even wrote about this in my blog and how, you know, I had thought about it and I just decided that I wasn't ready for it. And it just felt like too much. It felt like t- being too much of an adult to me. It was like I, I was really not quite there yet. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like, as far as my experience goes, the things happen when they happen. And it's that's just how it is. And it, it doesn't need to be any different way. If I had to go back and do it again, it would probably end up being the same way. You know, I, I had, a great job and it had some great benefits. And I learned a lot of great things while I was there. I learned how to write. I started my blog while I was there. You know, I had a lot of time to kill. So I did a lot of writing and that was great. That really helped me put my mind in a different place. Like I said, I've never done any knowledge work and here I was doing knowledge work for the first time in my life and really expanding that growth mindset and getting out of my comfort zone in a big way, which I, I probably didn't, feel it quite as much while I was in it. But looking back on it, I can see that I really was expanding myself in a, in a big way, in a way that I never thought that I would have. And I probably never would have otherwise.
0: I want to speak a moment about the trades in general as a path to financial independence, as well as entrepreneurship. First and foremost, do you need to be passionate about these jobs to go into them? I mean, this is something you've been doing for a long time now, even have mentioned the fact that you probably won't retire, right? You're going to keep working even after you get to a point where you have enough money. Does passion have to be a part of this equation?
1: I am not passionate about electrical work. I don't identify as an electrician. I am Tinian Crawford, who happens to do electrical work for money. I don't think you need passion for this at all. I think if you get into more craftsman type work, cabinet making, timber framing, that kind of thing. You know, I, I think a passion certainly helps for that. You, you don't need a passion for this. What you do need is a good work ethic You know, in the terms of not, when I say a good work ethic, what I don't mean is I never take a sick day. What I mean is when I come to work, I'm going to try to make my job as clean and neat and professional as possible. Sure. Those wires are going to get buried in a wall. Nobody's ever going to see them again, but I know they're there. And I want them to look as good as I can. I want the, everything to be done right, as best as I can for me. And that's—I, it's just for me to know that I'm doing the best job that I can, even if it's something that I'm not terribly passionate about. And, and I want to try to bring that into all of the other things that I get into in my life. And, it, and that has helped me expand my passion in other areas. I've gotten into blacksmithing and welding and bushcraft and things like that. And I want to try to bring that that work ethic into my other things that are a bit more craftsmany that I have a bit more passion for.
0: I feel like you've been asked and answered many times about how the trades are a good means to financial independence. Let me flip it around and ask you how the trades are as a means to entrepreneurship. Is it a good way to become an entrepreneur?
1: I think it's an excellent way to become an entrepreneur. I got to say, I mean, so my path to entrepreneurship was long, gradual, easy. I personally think it's one of the easier ways to get into entrepreneurship. I mean, it, it, you almost can't help but start your own business if you're in some of these trades. I mean, certainly some of them are a little bit harder to do by yourself. Electrician, that you can do by yourself, most residential work fairly easy to do as a one-person show. Plumbers, is probably a little bit harder because there's some larger things that you're getting into. Carpenters, there's some larger projects that you need other hands for. People want you to work for them as soon as they find out that you're in the trades because everybody has the job that they need done. And everybody needs to know somebody to do those things. I mean, you can you can start as a handyman, which is a great way to get into it. Where you can, you know, somebody says, Oh, the the lock on my door is sticking and I need some help to repair it. Great. There you go. There's a job. You just made some money and you just got a customer. And that person, if you do a good job and you are, you know, at all coherent, they're going to tell their friends when their friends say, Oh, this window is sticking. Oh, I, I know a guy. He fixed my doorknob. Let me give you his phone number. So the business almost kind of builds itself in that way. It's so easy to, Go to your day job, do your work, get home, have some dinner, go out, do a quick job for an hour or two, go out on Saturday morning, do a job for three or four hours and make some extra money and build up a customer base. And you do that for two, three, six years, whatever. Next thing you know, you got a pretty solid customer base. And by the time I went out on my own, I, I had a lot of customers already that were recommending me to their friends and, you know, calling me up for jobs. And then when I said, Oh yeah, I I just went out on my own. Oh, great. Give me a stack of business cards and I'll pass them out. And it's, I mean, I've spent $0 on advertising and it's just the business built itself. It's amazing how easy it is.
0: We've been talking about the growth mindset. Tell me how does Tinian Crawford grow as an entrepreneur and electrician? And is that even important anymore?
1: so at this point growth comes for me in optimizing my business behind the scenes you know it's it's not so much the work at this point anymore it's it's doing a better job of staying on top of my business and staying on top of returning phone calls which i'm not terribly good at i mean i just now got to voicemail zero which took me a little while to get to and i and i you know, that's, that's a huge area of growth that I need is calling people back, staying on top of that, being responsible in the sense of somebody calls me up for a job. I say, yes, I can do it. It'll be in two months. That's really a tough one for me. So that's, that's, I think the biggest part of the growth for me is, is just refining all the details of the behind the scenes that I'm just not used to.
0: So, Tinian, I wanted to thank you for coming on this show. We're talking about the growth mindset and the DIY attitude. And as we were talking, I realized that's something I kind of did in my mental life and thought work, but didn't do much physically or mechanically. What's wonderful to see is that if you're pursuing a stable financial life or even financial independence, Doing it yourself and learning the trades is quite possible. And then turning that into a business, becoming an entrepreneur is something that is out there and possible and doesn't require the expense of a four-year degree. It's been wonderful to hear your story. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you, what is up next in your life? And if people want to learn more about you or want to connect, how can they do that? So first and foremost, what's up next in your life?
1: Yeah, so at this point, just kind of trucking on here. We're keeping our businesses going. I think I'm just expanding my my non-work interests by getting into wilderness survival recently, which has been really fun. And so that's that's kind of where we're we're looking at. My wife and I have been toying with the idea of when the kids get older, you know, moving out to the out into the woods and starting up a, a little Airbnb village and, you know, maybe doing some survival skills teaching and some therapeutic teaching at the same time and this and just kind of blending it all together. And it's kind of a pipe dream at this point, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep slowly working towards something like that. And, you know, it may or may not happen, but it's fun to think about and it's fun to, to work toward it. Yeah. It's just, that's, that's where we're at now. We're just raising our kids. My, my son's getting ready to go to middle school and, and my, my daughter's doing second grade now. And so we're, we're just living in the now as much as we can and enjoying the time that we have before our kids don't want to be with us anymore. <laughs>
0: so we might want to keep our eye out for Tinian and Crawford on, on the next episode of Naked and Afraid then one day.
1: <laughs> Hopefully not naked or afraid. Maybe one of those. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and if people want to reach out to you and learn more, is there an easy way to find you?
1: So I'm most active on Twitter at Captain. I'm also on Instagram at DIY captain, I think, or possibly at captain DIY. I'm not totally sure. I do have this blog. I write blog articles once every three to five years at this point, uh, <laughs> still, still waiting on the next one. So probably won't see any new content on there for anytime soon, but you certainly can go check it out at DIY 25 That's the number two, uh, com. And other than that, yeah, I think Twitter is really the best way. I love to hang out on there and interact with people. So yeah, reach out.
0: This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I wanted to thank Tinian Crawford, the DIY captain. That's a wrap. Sweet. Awesome. So is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? Anything we didn't mention?
1: Well, I mean, like I said, I, I took this whole page of notes here that had a bunch of ideas and stuff, but, you know, it's... How,
0: how close we were to... we to any of the ideas you you had? On <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: so I had, I had broken it down into money aspect and then other good stuff was the title of the other section. Uh, the money aspect, we didn't really get into any of that, which is fine. The other good stuff, I, I think that we got into most of that, which is... Which is really what I wanted to get to. See,
0: that this is that is a perfect summation of what this podcast is. You had a whole bunch of money stuff, and then you yeah. had a bunch of <laughs> other good stuff. Yeah. My goal is to say you'll probably get the specific money stuff from someone else. But I want to talk about the other good stuff that probably connected somehow to the money stuff, but was beside the point. And so it's funny you did that. Um, I feel like I've fulfilled my goals for our conversation then, because ultimately, I think we all do need to know the how to, right? And I'm not kidding myself in saying that Earn and Invest is the best place to go to find out how do you set up a 401k or how much money should be in your Roth IRA or what the perfect asset allocation is. That's never really been my goal, but more kind of those next level conversations of once you found out that information by reading the blogs or listening to the podcasts or hiring a financial advisor, what next? And yeah. so that was a big reason I wanted to have you on today was to kind of talk about what next, because... You know that interests me right someone who goes into the trades discovers financial independence and then decides to start their own business what does that mean like what does that look right. like on the ground and and how right. has it made your life better for worse or worse um and why is it important and to me those those are like the key conversations
1: yeah well i remember when we first met at camp fi in uh, arkansas there i remember your your um bit I think it was for um, the money nerd podcast. Where you're talking about how you, you kind of, you realize that the money aspect wasn't necessarily the real important part of it. You know, of course that's the nuts and bolts that kind of builds the framework. But then after that, it, that's kind of a simple thing. Like you said, you can find that anywhere. There's a million podcasts that'll tell you how to start a 401k, but it's then what do you do with it? Yeah. Which that's I think a really lot of important us, stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, many of us mistake money as the goal instead of a tool right? Mm -hmm. And so the problem with that is then when you finally find a way to get money, you kind of are at a loss of what the hell do I do with myself? So I never wanted to spend a lot of time on the tool of money. I more wanted to spend time on what that tool allows you to do with your life, the other big goals we have. Um, And so to me, that's always been kind of the exciting conversation. Uh, And I think we do forget that. Like we, we tend to try to make money into a goal and that's wonderful. Like financial independence, it's a goal or a net worth. That's the goal. But the truth of the matter is neither of those are really the goals. Those are the tools hopefully that we use to build a life that, that looks the way we want it to. Right. Um, Right. and, And that's, that's, that's a lot of why I like talking to people like you, because that's exactly what you're doing. And the funny thing about that. And we've all seen this is when you start concentrating on your true goals, all of a sudden, this tool becomes much less important, even though it's still important. You still need money. You still need to make money so you can support your your lifestyle. You still need to be saving, investing. All that's still important. But emotionally, it all of a sudden takes a backseat. You're like, okay, well, I can do that. Now I really want to put my brain into what does this life look like? Like, what is it, how does it look good? And how does it look joyful and how do I get the time with the people I want to spend the time with and really make the most of it? Um Yeah. You so, know, it's, yeah. It's
1: so I've been, I've been watching this show alone recently, which is where these people, you know, they go off into the wilderness and they have to spend a hundred days out there with next to nothing and try to survive with, with nothing. And what, the people that last the longest there, what they find is in the first month or so, their time is spent, you know, building a shelter, figuring out how to catch food, figuring out how to get fire. Once they have those things down, then they're like, okay, well, I got that figured out. Now it's all in inner. It's all how do I keep myself from going down into the black hole of depression and loneliness versus how do I make myself happy here? And I, I think that. Is the same. The same with money. It's you know. I figured out the money. I figured out how to make money. I figured out how to invest money. Now, okay, that's all. Now I I work on inner.
0: Yeah, it's that first level thinking versus second and third level thinking. And yeah, 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 yeah. Very cool. I'm glad to see you're doing well. Um, Thanks. I think it's really exciting, and uh, we got to find a way to see each other in person again.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Definitely. Are you doing
0: KFIs anymore?
1: Uh, you know, once. COVID kind of calms down. Hopefully it will. Yeah. Uh, then yes, I definitely will. But right now we're just not feeling comfortable to travel.
0: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean piles and I host nerd wallets, smart money podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlaz,